Welcome to Lovesick the Podcast, where we dive into health, wellness, and relationships and their impact on the world. Come be a part of the discussion. Join our community by following us on YouTube, Instagram, and listening wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Enjoy the show. Welcome, everyone, to our Lovesick Podcast. On my left is my beautiful daughter, Jada. And to my right is Handsome Michael. <laughs> and thank you, thank you, thank you for watching us again. We have a wonderful guest this morning. We have Habaka. I love saying that, Habaka. <laughs> Welcome, Habaka. Welcome. Hello. Thank you. Welcome. Hello. So glad to be on the Love Sick podcast. Yes. And for those who don't know, Habaka is a, what, 2019 BMA. Uh, you got the Jazz Singer Award, correct? That is absolutely correct. That yes. Is absolutely correct. And you for are Las a- Vegas. For Las Vegas. <laughs> for Las Vegas. Okay. Yeah. And you're also an educator, a public speaker, holistic and meditation Oh, advocate. And you also, I mean, the list goes on. I could be going on for 10 more minutes with you. So I'm going to cut <laughs> it right there and we're going to just start. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> so I'll let Michael. Well, I guess we should probably start kind of in the beginning. I mean, if we start kind of with your childhood and kind of where everything began for you and, and kind of your background. Well, the very beginning uh, started in the womb of my mom. <laughs> she was a vocalist, a jazz vocalist, and traveled all over the world. And I actually had uh, grew up on the carnival in my little years, eating hot dogs and french fries all day and riding rides all day on the roundup and all that stuff and seeing all of the entertainers. So... It was in my blood from birth, actually, and my father uh, being a uh, blues man with Bobby Blue Bland and B.B. Mm. King. He was with he played the saxophone with B.B. King for more than 25 years and with Bobby Blue Bland, the band leader for 16 years. And my grandfather was a pianist and advocate for the uh, community of musicians. And it was just, it's just in my bloodline. That's the beginning, actually. And me, myself, I tried my best not to be a vocalist. <laughs> and I just sang in the choir in school. And I loved being in the ensemble. And I actually studied dancing uh, for 16 years, I thought I was going to be a professional dancer with the Alvin Ailey dancers, <laughs> and <laughs> which they did come to me and they tried to recruit me at the age of of uh, 12, 13. And my mother said no. And I have never been so upset with my mother in all my days. However, now as an adult, I understand that she was only doing what she felt was best for me. But um, that was the beginning of my, my music career and just being, just growing up listening to music all the time. And my mother had me writing out all her jazz tunes and listening to Sarah Vaughn and Ella Fitzgerald and uh, 
Nancy Wilson and uh, Connie Francis even. Oh, my God. Now, that does not say anything about my age, okay? (laughs) (laughs) No, but it does probably say something about the depth of your story. (laughs) It only says that I'm well-seasoned in music and in the music, and I just absolutely love, love, love music. I love what I do, and that was really the beginning. Like I said, I really never really uh, dreamt about being a and a professional vocalist. I, like I said, and I was a cheerleader all through high school and junior high and, you know, that kind of stuff, just being very athletic. Now as a little girl, you know, um, we're not afraid. And my mom told me I used to go up on the stage all the time when they were, when she was on the stage and have my little Texas cowboy boots on. <laughs> and she said, you wanted to wear those boots with everything. <laughs> and she said, I would come up there on the stage and say, you talk too much because you wear me to death. You know, but uh, and shaking and shaking. I would have never thought that, but because I'm very, very shy, even though most people who know me now uh, say I don't have a shy bone in my body, but that's not true. It's not true. I just know how to hide it very well. I think that's the secret of most yeah. good performers. I think most, <laughs> most, most good performers, uh, they like their private time, but when you get on stage, you know there's a purpose, right? Exactly. And that is exactly right. I am an introvert. I really, it's hard to get me out of the house. <laughs> People will call me and say, can you meet us at a And I'm like, okay, yeah, I'm all excited and everything. And then I talk myself out of it. I'm like, no, I don't need to go. Oh, my God. I get paranoid around too many people. It's just, oh, I got to get dressed and I have to think about what am I going to put on. And it's just way too much, way too much. So I am a very private person and I love uh, being at home in my private space. I I w- I'm an only child, and so I do know how to entertain myself. <laughs> <laughs> I always feel that music is, like, very therapeutic, like, when listening to it. How about when you're just, like, when you're performing or, or coming up with, with songs and music? Is, does that feel, like, very therapeutic to you? You know what? It is very therapeutic. And I believe that music, me being uh, a vocalist, helped me even in my moments of depression, if I experienced being sad or being unhappy, because once I was on stage and singing and doing what I really am passionate about and what I love, it uh, sort of, it was like my, I was my own therapist, (laughs) so to speak, because through singing and putting out the emotions and the expression because when you're singing, you're telling a story. And so a lot of times, you know, I would always tell my students too, that, you know, sometimes you may be singing a song and maybe you're not wanting to feel those exact emotions at that moment, or maybe you're not ready to feel those emotions. Maybe it comes and hits you by surprise you know, that you were not even expecting to be feeling that. And you just have to learn how to just let it flow. Now, sometimes I may even actually cry, 
you know, while, while singing a song. However, in my younger years uh, of singing, when I did, if I did cry, I did not know how to control that emotion. But as you become more adapted and more seasoned and knowing what how to handle your emotions, then I'm able to, yes, still show the emotion, but keep myself intact where I'm able to actually finish the song and perform. Great question. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, and I have a follow-up on that because I'm going to, we're going to talk about health and wellness and all that kind of stuff, but I think there's a cathartic element to performing. <laughs> I think it sneaks up on you. Emotion will sneak up on you when you really get into it. And I, I think that's the other part is sometimes it's the safest place for you to express that emotion, right? And it can overwhelm you, you in a way. And, and do you find that for you as well? You're absolutely right. It is a safe place. And I always tell people being on stage for me is like my sanctuary. That's my, that is my sanctuary when I'm on stage because, you know, um, as an artist, people accept a lot of things. And so, because you are an artist. And so even if I am going through something or I'm able to even maybe express it on the stage and they're more apt to be able to really feel what I'm feeling. And without knowing, a lot of times I'm also helping a lot of other people who may be going through the same exact thing and you just don't know what people are going through. And that was an, another thing that I learned about being in the music industry and the type of music that I do, um, that I really have a chance to communicate with people and become intimate as well. I don't think people realize how intimate that connection between um, people who are collaborating, but just the audience back and forth. Um, you let your walls down. I don't think yes. you can help it. And I think it kind of sneaks up on you at times. And I don't think you realize fully the connection that you have and the ability to touch people. It's the most beautiful yes. part of performing is because people will come to you and they'll tell you what something you did meant to them. And exactly. Even, even if you don't know, like, and even if that wasn't your intention, sometimes you connect on a level that that's beyond words. It's beyond messages. You know, I, listen, I think, any performer would tell you, knowing you have a place to go and a place to perform and a time, you know, when you have a call time, <laughs> all of life gets easier. Everything else kind of shifts away, right? Like all the other exactly. words fall away. And exactly. You're like ready. And like you said, you just don't even know that you are helping someone or touching someone mm -hmm. and it may not even be your intention, <laughs> you know, because now me, before I, before I go out on the stage, I always compose myself. I take a deep breath. I breathe to relax because, uh, I'm, like I said, I'm very shy and I'm very nervous because of course you want the people to like what you're doing. You want to be good. You you know, I'm, you worry sometimes I worry about, oh my God, my voice might crack or, you know, I might not hit that note or, but any, once I hit the first note, then I'm, I'm free. I'm okay. And I did learn, uh, while touring that what you said, sometimes after my concerts, people would come up to me and tell me, thank you for giving them hope 
mm-hmm. or thank you for uh, changing the way they were feeling that that evening that they didn't even want to come out and that they were so glad that they decided to come to my concert. And so that was one really amazing way for me that uh, that God showed me that what I was doing was right because I fought so much being a blues and jazz and gospel vocalist. And so I, I, a lot of times I, during my career, throughout my career, I had many uh, confusion, emotional confusion of, oh my God, I'm singing the devil's music. Oh my goodness, this is not right. And da, 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 da. And, but once I really went abroad and started touring and singing and like I said, people actually walking up to me after a jazz concert or after a blues concert, crying their heart out and hugging me and saying, thank you. I was like, okay, it's not, it's what I'm exuding to the person, to the people. It's what my energy, what I'm giving my spirit, because I give all of me when I'm on the stage. You know, Habakkuk, speaking of that, when you said about your career and abroad, let's talk about Italy. I know that you traveled there and, you know, let's let's talk about um, what prompted you to to go to Italy. Well, I was singing and I was living in Atlanta, Georgia at the time, and I was singing in a gospel group, a gospel ensemble. And I was doing the marketing for the for the group. And so I was sending out lots of packages, trying to get us to be booked and everything. And, and once you send out 100, 200 packages, someone, <laughs> someone is going to respond. You just have to keep pushing through and keep going, right? And so someone responded. They liked our, our music, our show and everything. And we were booked to go to Italy. We were there for three weeks. And our first show, that was my first time ever being out of the country, actually. And I was the lead singer for the gospel group. It was called The Burning Bush. And um, we, our first show was in Bordeguera, and we opened up for Dee Dee Bridgewater. And I was like, oh, my God. You know, I was like starstruck, of course, and everything. <laughs> I was like, Dee Dee Bridgewater, too. But anyway... That's how I arrived to Italy. And during that tour is where I found out that I really wanted to do this for the rest of my life, that I wanted to be a professional vocalist. It had not been in my mind before. Um, While I was singing with the gospel group, I actually... I was doing it to just to have fun and release and be able to sing. And, but I, I just love people. Actually. I love people. I love working with people. I was working at the Marriott hotel at the time as a manager and just having fun and working there 20 hours a day. (laughs) But um, it was because I just become so passionate and I just love what I do when I'm, and I love working. But when I got to Italy and I was sitting on the patio of my hotel room, just looking out and just thinking where I was and what I was doing, I was like, oh my God, I, I said, I could see myself doing this. 
I can see myself doing this. I like this. And uh, I was like, wow, Lord, I see myself doing this. I, I, I think I can do this. And so <laughs> returned back to Atlanta after the tour and the group broke up. And I was sitting on my bed one day just looking at the poster from from that uh, tour. And down at the bottom of the poster was a really, really tiny writing. And it seemed like it just jumped out. And I was like, what is that at the bottom? And I went and looked. And it was the information, the contact information of the promoter. Because I didn't have his contact information. Even though I was doing the promoting, I gave all of the material to the band leaders, you know, and I, I didn't take or keep the information. And so when I saw that, I sent a fax. <laughs> <laughs> Young people are like, what is wow. that? Can we explain what this is? We're going we're gonna to call that an old school email. <laughs> an email and a letter combined. <laughs> so that special sound yeah. <laughs> so you gotta have to teach everyone give a quiz what is a yeah. fact <laughs> <laughs> so i sent a fax to the promoter saying i don't know if you remember me but this is habaka and i was the lead singer for the burning bush and i just wanted to let you know that if you need a vocalist i'm available and so that's what I did. And then I went on about my business. Two weeks later, I come home from work and I, he responded and he said, of course, I remember you. And he said, I will put a band together for you. And mm. that is how I started going to Italy mm. to tour. And uh, I started going back and forth. I went back and forth maybe about 20 times before I decided to live there and experience the, a different culture. I didn't have children. I wasn't married or anything. And I was like, well, this is going to be a great experience. I think I'm just going to live here. My mom was like, <laughs> have you lost your mind? I was like, no. She's like, you don't even speak the language. You don't know anyone. I'm like, well, I'll learn it. I can learn it, you know? And and so I did learn the language. I speak Italian fluently. And because you have to know what you're talking about when it comes to your business and your money. So I told her I would learn. Don't worry about that. <laughs> and so uh, and that brought me to Italy. And I ended up living in Italy and teaching in the school system, their voice. And uh I lived there 24 years and wow. it, it was a wonderful experience, something I never expected to happen, but it has been uh, a wonderful, wonderful experience for, for me. And I learned a lot about life, uh, you know, living in a foreign country even and the different rules and regulations and, you know, how people live. And I, I learned how how spoiled we are here in America. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, we, we it forget, is true. It you know. is true. Like I spent six months there when I studied abroad. It was like my first time like leaving the country also. And it's something about like just being there in a different space, also on your own and kind of developing your life there. But it's 
people live so differently there. And it's we you're yeah. right because we are kind of spoiled here mm-hmm. in a way, but it's just just knowing like things are slower there and taking people taking exactly. their time. And like, I mean, I just remember walking at nighttime one time and just saw these two older ladies walking. I'm like, could we do that at home? I don't know. But even like dinners are late, but you, it's all about that yeah. conversation and, and just like awareness and not just like, let me, let me eat my food and then get out of here and on to the next. It's like spending time and they yeah. bring families together too, which I love. It's like the families. It, it's it's very it's just, important. The it's family. very important to them, and it's 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 just a, such an amazing culture. And I need to get back there. <laughs> yeah. And I love sitting out at the bistro. Yes, and just going to the coffee out. shop. And yes, like you said, and it was just so laid back. And you know, we're always in the hustle and bustle of, yeah. of life and everything, and not having time. They don't eat in their cars. No, they are going to <laughs> have a meal. They're going to sit down with their friends. They're going to invite the whole family. Everyone's coming and you're going to have your wine and you're going to have a good time and you're going to enjoy your meal. And and live. Yes. Yes. And it was just so refreshing. Like you said, the slow, take a deep breath and slow down. And just like, I would be like, oh, my God, we got to go. They were like, (laughs) (laughs) don't worry don't worry we're going to get there manja manja i'm like oh my lord but that's how we should live it's still gonna be there when we you know what it's still happening exactly i love it you are so right it's like it gave me a whole other perspective on on life and I'm just so grateful that I had the opportunity uh, to live this life of a vocalist and a teacher because um, I didn't even know I was a teacher, actually. Because, you know, you can be great uh, in something that you do, but not be able to be a good teacher. And I found that I love teaching. I get excited to see the progress of the other students and it's just to en- the encouragement to encourage them and uh my youngest student was six years old i had two six-year-olds they were fantastic sophia and frederico <laughs> <laughs> and um I was their first teacher and their parents said that they wanted them to study with me specifically because they wanted them to have a first good experience of being with a teacher. And Federico was just amazing. He was so funny. He was a cool little boy. I tell you, he was not afraid and he had a voice too. And so did Sophia. She had a good voice and they, you know, it was just, like I said, and those are things that I did that I, I didn't have plan on. I didn't plan on being a teacher. (laughs) I didn't plan on being a, a vocal teacher or a vocal coach and doing vocal seminars. And they just, I was trained for it in America without knowing that I was going to be doing that as, as my livelihood. Because when I was in church, they made me the director of a choir. And I was like, I don't know how to direct a choir. (laughs) They're like, you'll be fine. You'll be fine. 
But little did I know that down down the road, years later, I would be living in a foreign country, also teaching gospel music and uh, teaching choir and just so many things that I said, you know, I could not have asked for anything, but I wouldn't change a thing, really. I wouldn't change a thing. And uh, sometimes it was lonely because, you know, uh, also another thing I learned is being uh, very, you know, being in the spotlight, uh, you just, you like Michael said, you need that private space. Because when you're always touring and traveling, it is people don't realize how grueling it is and how tiring it is. And, uh, you know, you always have to be up. And when you're talking to people and you've got to, you know, even if I arrive on the stage directly off of the plane, I have to go on that stage and look like, you know, I've been fresh for days <laughs> well and i'll i'll say like this may be the one time someone gets to see me perform this may be their first and only experience mm-hmm. and i owe them to come with a certain level of energy and passion exactly and, and i don't want to cheat anybody and i want to make the most of every experience and then the flip side of that is um to have a safe place to let yourself down as a performer and yes. it's hard for people to really understand you get so used to performing. It's rare for you to have people that you get to just sit back and be totally authentic with or who will let you release, let you not be on, right? And, exactly. And, and so that can be very lo- – it's funny because some of the most famous people, the people who do the biggest performances, it can be very isolating. It can make you lonely. Yeah. It can play with your mental health. And, and you have to have that support structure. You are absolutely 100% correct. And um, like I tell some of my closest friends that, you know, even though I may not be uh, a celebrity on TV and all of that stuff or at a high uh, level, but at my level, I am still like a celebrity. And I, like you said, it's like you have to have that time where, you know, sometimes I just don't want to talk. I don't want to talk. I don't want to, I don't have turn the music on in, in the house. I just want everything to be quiet, to be silent, where I can just sit there. I can sit in a room for hours and just silence and uh and be happy and be f- satisfied but like you said it's also um it can become very dangerous mentally because um i also found that uh it's hard for me to trust people because uh a lot of times you know people get caught up in the per se, the glamour of it, you know, and they just want to be, I just want to be around her back. I just want to be with her to show that I know her and I'm with her. And so it's like, you don't really know if this person really, really does like me or they're just wanting to, you know, hang out with me because it shows that they know Habaka KFJ, you know, right, but, right. and, 
And so you, I have, I do have a hard time a, a lot of times of really trusting someone. And um, but I believe people what they say. I do. And my mom used to tell me I was so gullible. It's I said, so "Well, good. mom, I'm not gullible. It's just that I believe what you say. If you, whatever you're telling me, I believe that I believe it's true." Now. If it turns out not to be true, of course, I'm I'm devastated and saddened by it. But I always want to give the person the benefit of the doubt. And when you said also about performing and giving your best, I did a concert one time where the commun- the the uh, the community, the council there, they forgot to do the advertising. They thought that the other state city uh, official was doing the advertising and the other city official thought they were doing. And we arrived to this beautiful venue. I mean, it was absolutely gorgeous. And there were two people there. Oh, wow. Yeah. But those two people came, right? Yeah. Right? yeah. Those, That's those, right. those two people That's came. True. That came is true. And you know what? Yeah. I did my show just as if it was a thousand people. That's there. right. Yeah. And they were like, wow, you acted like we were I said well you're just as important as That's anyone right. else you're here That's so right. I need to give you what you came for and this is what I do and it doesn't matter that it's only two people I love you the same and uh this is what I do you know and, and they were really shocked you know and the band was shocked too the band was like <laughs> What we're gonna do? To, I'm like, yes, they're here. <laughs> they're everybody there. set up. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, we we're here already. So let's just do it. You know, let's have fun and do it. And, you know, Habaka, and, uh, I have. Um, I was thinking about uh, you being in Italy, and I know this is a dark moment for you because of the tragic accident that happened to you. Uh, while you were living in I- Italy. So let's go to that moment. You know, I know it's pretty dark, but I'm sure it'll help a lot of people out here um, to know what happened and then how you decided to uh, have your natural store as well. Okay. I was living out in the country in Italy and while well, I was moving out there and it was a two-story uh, uh, townhome. And in Italy, they don't clean the apartments and houses and stuff when you're going to be moving in. You have to do all that yourself. So mm-hmm. I went over there. I'm cleaning up. And and they had these Venetian blinds in the window that were, I think they were maybe were there 100 years. And so <laughs> I was like, oh, my goodness. But, you know, uh, without even thinking about it, I was like, okay, I'm just going to take the measurements and I'm going to take these down. I'm going to run down to the uh, mall and order some new blinds. That's where my head was. It was August. And in August in Italy, everyone goes on vacation in the month of August. So everything is closed and there are no people around. And I was in a cul-de-sac, actually. And my car, I could park my car right in front of my door. And so I went into the apartment. I'm cleaning up. I go up on the second floor. And there are no screens on the window also. And I open the window. 
I'm so dramatic. I open the window. <laughs> I open the window and I get up on the ladder. I climb to the very top of the ladder as far as you can go. And I'm trying to get this blind out, this Venetian blind out. And when it finally gave way, I lost my balance and I fell out of the window. Mm -hmm. So in Italy, I don't know if you know, um, being on the second floor in Italy was like being on the third or fourth floor Mm -hmm. because it's very, very high. And uh, as I was falling out of the window, I was like, wow, okay, this is how I'm going to die. Okay, a freak accident. I can see the headlines. American gospel blues vocalist mm. fall out of the window. <laughs> and I'm like, Lord, I'm not ready to go yet. And my acrobatics kicked in because, as I told you, I studied, I was an acrobatics as a teenager and dancer. And so, as I'm falling out of the window, my car is right there. And I'm like, okay, well, maybe if I just reach out and stretch, I can break the fall Hmm. instead of just splatting all over the pavement. And so I reached out to break the fall. And then I was like, well, maybe I can even grab the, the, the car door handle, right. To hold on to it. And it was the type that you lift. I was like, like, okay, well, that's out. That's out. Okay. (laughs) But at same time, all of this is going on for this fall. And I fall, I, I'm in between my car and I did reach out. And so I'm stuck in between and I have to let go. I can't just stay like that. I have to let go. And so it was either my head hitting the Mm. ground or my chest hitting the ground. And so I lifted my head up as far as I could and I let go. And I hit the ground with my chest and I laid there about 30 minutes because I didn't know if I had any broken bones uh, or anything. So I was afraid to get stand up and uh, I was like, oh, okay, I'm still here. I think I'm still here. (laughs) So um, I once I stood up and got up, I was really in shock. Um, from that fall, and I went back inside and started mopping the floor. Uh, And I was crying, and I'm like, oh, thank you, Lord, thank you. And I I didn't go to the hospital till the next day. Well, when I went to the hospital the next day, they said all of my uh, chest muscles were stripped apart, Mm -hmm. and that there's nothing they could do about that, that that has to mend back together on its own. And my shoulder was almost out of socket. I couldn't really lift my hand. And they did the x-ray and they were like, we need to do, uh, we need to operate right now. And I was like, no, 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 no. I don't want to, I don't want you to operate right now. So they gave me a neck brace. Cause like I said, I really stretched my neck to not for my head, not to hit the ground. And I went to a holistic doctor. I found a holistic sports doctor and I took my x-rays to him to see if, in fact, I could avoid having the surgery. 
And he looked at it and he says, I think we can do this without you having to have surgery. So I went to him for about six months getting shots in my shoulder and everything was done on the computer where it analyzes your bodies, your fluids and what you need. And then he would make a holistic uh, tincture for me uh, as well to take. And also um, the other part of the therapy was um, massage treatments, hot oil treatments to my neck and just massaging the muscles in the back. And as God would have it, I had two friends who were in my uh, gospel choir who were physical therapists. So I went to them for the massages and uh, I cried for three months, like every five minutes, just Mm. from the trauma of it all. And it took five years for my chest muscles to uh, go back together. And uh, every time, you know, you just, I could be doing something and make a turn or a move and I could feel like it was like I was having a heart attack or something. But I believe that if I had not been into natural health as I was, then I would have, it would have been really, really, really bad, really bad. But I drink a lot of uh, holistic, natural herbal teas and loose teas and stems and wood and all this, as people would look at it and think it that, but I do drink a lot of those type of teas. And um, so my insides was healthy. And from that point on, then having that trauma to my chest, it made my chest area very, very sensitive to the different changes of temperature, you know, uh, and uh, so I literally, uh, you know, I, I was beginning to get sick quite a bit from different changes of temperature and, you know, because touring and you're on the uh, outside, you're inside and the heat and the cold and all this stuff. And so I had to learn how to pace myself or try to always keep my chest warm because the, the doctor said I had to try to keep my chest at a certain temperature to keep it warm so I don't build up a lot of fluid and mucus. And I did end up with walking pneumonia as well. And I was in the hospital for two weeks on oxygen. And when they found out that I was a vocalist, they was like, they told me, oh my God. And they did it. My first week, the antibiotics didn't work. And they didn't understand why. So they evaluated the mucus and everything. And they said, well, we found out that you from birth, you were born with one lung extremely larger than the other. So you have a post-nasal drip. And when it gets full, you get ill. And And then all of that made sense to me because as a child, I was always sick with bronchitis and, you know, tonsillitis and always those type of ailments. And I would lived in the hospital. And that's actually what got me started on uh, searching out for natural uh, remedies because I was always in the hospital. 
And that was the beginning journey of me being a natural girl and uh, seeking out natural healing. And um, and then the doctors told me, they said, we have you on the best oxygen that there is. And I was like, the best oxygen? <laughs> what does that mean? As, a, as opposed to average or bad oxygen. Like, uh, this is one of those areas sometimes where doctors make you promises where you go, I, I, I'm going to okay. say thank you, but I'm, I'm not really sure. With the sure. Mask on and I'm like, the best oxygen. There's a difference in oxygen. Yeah. Maybe they meant percentage-wise. Right, yeah. right. And for and you, they were like, yes, there is a difference. We are yeah. giving you the highest quality. <laughs> and I was like, wow. And I tell you, I had friends coming to visit me, and they said, you look like you're aging backwards while you're in here. And I said, well, maybe it's the oxygen. That's the oxygen right there. <laughs> well, it could be some of that, some antioxidant stuff. Uh, as a singer, right? Yeah. I don't know that people realize if they haven't used their body in that but everything you do goes through your diaphragm and your chest. So yes. to land on that and then have this be your literally, not only your livelihood, but kind of your existence, it's your expression, yes. it's your, it's your vehicle, right? Kind of how yes. you expose and share with the world. What was that process like for you? It's got to be terrifying and then to heal it. What are the things you suggest for people? Well, actually it was terrifying for me. And <clears throat> even, you know, speaking about it, I get all choked up because yeah. just like I said, just from the thought of all of the things that could have occurred, you know, falling out of the window, one, I could have been a uh, deceased, you know, two, I could have been crippled three. I could have, you know, just not ever, ever in my life be able to sing again. Um, there are just so many things that went on in my head. And, <clears throat> and I actually, uh, the very next day with my neck brace on, I went and did a gospel concert. It's amazing. Wow. You're dedicated, Abaka. Huh? You, you were definitely dedicated. Yes. And, and well, because, you know, when I was falling out of the window, I told the Lord, I'm not ready to stop singing. And, and I he said, blessed you, you. Know, if you keep me, uh -huh. I will not stop singing. Uh -huh. Oh, beautiful. That is so beautiful. Yeah. Because you wasn't doing it for you, Habaka. You were doing it for everyone else. And that was healing for yourself and the people that was there to actually hear, you know, your passion and that's why I'm pretty sure you get upset about a, a whole lot of uh, things that you're thinking of right now. I mean, I can't imagine what you actually, you know, what you've gone through. But I do know your passion for music. And I know yeah. that your passion is for therapy, you know, yeah. to heal. And it's not just you. It's everybody. It's a global, yeah. it's a global um, passion for you. It's a global passion and, you know, <clears throat> it's hard for people to really believe that they can be healed holistically um, because, of course, yes, I tell people sometimes you do need to go to the hospital, you need to go to the doctor, you need to, but 
as much as possible, you want to do everything that you can first to heal yourself holistically and to treat your body in a natural way and give the food that it needs and the nutrients and the vitamins that it needs. It doesn't mean you're going to be, you could be, uh, it doesn't mean if you're healthy, that you're twiggy, right? <laughs> you know, because, um, even with that, you know, people are, are so caught up on, on weight and this and that and the other. However, your weight also has a lot to do with your mental state, how you're doing. And, you know, all of those other things just combined together with your weight can also, uh, even if you're eating right, you know, some people's metabolisms are extra fast and they can eat uh, one steak and it'll burn up in five minutes, you know? So it's like, it just depends on your body, the person, but you always want to be thinking in a way of what am I putting in? Is it going to benefit me? Is it going to help me uh, down the road? Or, you know, I even had an incident where I, uh, was in a vehicle and the wire from the radio caught on fire and it burned into my leg. <laughs> I, wow. know, right? I know. Oh my goodness. But, um, because I was a natural girl, when I went to the emergency, you know, they, they wrapped it up and everything. And they said, well, tomorrow you have to come back and, um, it's a third degree burn. It's going to be ugly. The skin's going to fall off and this and that and the other. So I went home and I have this book, a natural book that I picked up and found when I was 18. I still have it today. It's called Back to Eden mm-hmm. and by Jethro Kloss. And I looked it up and it said for a third degree burn to put cayenne pepper on it. Wow. So I opened the bandage and I put a tablespoon of cayenne pepper on it and wrapped it back up. And when I went back to that uh, facility the next day and they removed that bandage, it was completely healed. It was look it looked like a cat scratch. Wow. And the skin didn't fall off. Nothing occurred. And the doctor was like, what did you do? And I was like, well, I mean, I put some cayenne pepper on it. <laughs> and, and she said, no, what else did you do? I said, well, I mean, I drink a lot of natural teas. And she's like, oh, okay, you're healthy on the inside. Well, so that's part of it, right? Like, I think this mm-hmm. is one of the things that we don't, there, I, there's a couple of things I want to kind of go back to that you said, but one of them is, we do this thing where we imagine that we know or that a medication that is a pharmaceutical is necessarily the first or the best choice. And I think mm-hmm. everything we need on this planet was already here. We are right. natural beings. There are natural cures. I think, you know, we almost need to rediscover kind of old knowledge. You know, I know the three of us talk about it all the time, but it sounds like that has been a gift in your life. It has. It has been a gift in my life. And I have had so many, uh, I guess some people would maybe call it a miracle. I've had so many experiences of things that have occurred in my life 
and I have been able to uh, do it naturally. And and that's why I keep so many teas with me. I always have them with me, even when I'm traveling, I, because it's so easy to do. You just get a cup of hot water, put it in there and, you know, let it steep and you drink it. But um, I'm telling you, even when I was, have, was sick with uh, walking pneumonia, I didn't know I was sick with walking pneumonia, but I did a concert the day before I went into the hospital. Hmm. And, and I was singing and fine. And, you know, uh, before that, I was like, oh, my God, I can't breathe or whatever. But I went on that stage and everything changes for me. And so um, but just the gift of, like you said, everything that we need, we have it. And also you have to believe. Yeah, that's true. That's the other about- secret. You have to believe that you can heal. If you don't believe that you can heal, you are not going to heal. And so, but you have to believe that this is for you and it's going to heal you. You know, it may not be uh, overnight. It may be a long journey, but it doesn't mean that it's over. It doesn't mean it's over and it doesn't mean that you cannot be healed because you can, you can, it might take time. And sometimes it happens quickly. Sometimes it doesn't. And also, you know, maybe during that, during that time of the transition, maybe you needed to learn something, you know, and maybe you needed to go through it so you can help someone else who's going through the same thing that you're going through. So all of those things, uh, you know, the universe is, is really tricky. You know, it's like sometimes it will take you through things in life, but if you look at it on the good side, then you can help someone else. And because I know from experience, so I can only say what I know what happened to me. I don't know if it's going to happen for you, but I know what happened for me when I drink the teas that I drink, when I uh, pray, when I do my breathing exercise, when I meditate, um, those are the things that help me to continue and to, and it opens your heart. And, you know, we all grow up with, uh, with things in our hearts that we have to get rid of. We have to heal from a lot of things also from childhood and, you know, sometimes we may not even know that until we're going through something and it might, like I said, a surprise, it might hit you and you're like, oh, I didn't realize that I was still harboring that hurt or whatever it was that you experienced. But all of those things also have to do with your health and your well-being as, you know, it's the heart, your heart has to be clear. You know, and speaking of heart, you're, you're absolutely <laughs> right. I know that you loved Italy because you told me how much you loved it. But then there came a time in life where you actually had to close your store and leave Italy to go back to the States. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yes, I had opened up my little natural store right in the heart of Cremona, Italy, and uh, 
It was a little natural store, a little soap store, actually. It was a soap store, uh, natural soaps, and I also had essential oils and um, body oils, massage oils, facial product creams for your face and everything. And um, my mom, I had my store for six years, actually, uh, and my mom got ill with uh, uterine cancer. And uh, so I had to go home because, I, as I said earlier, I'm an only child. And so I went home to take care of her. And thank God right now, today, she's cancer-free, doing well. Wonderful. Yes, she's Wonderful. doing fantastic. And I've always had her taking all types of <laughs> natural stuff and drinking natural tea. She's like, oh, my God, what is this now? I'm like, Mom, just drink it. It's going to help you. <laughs> But she's always, oh, goodness, what is this now? I'm like, it's going to help you. And uh, one time she went to the doctor and she's like, well, the doctor said it's, I might not be able to walk taking this medicine. I'm like, well, then why do you want to take it if you're not going to be able to walk? You need to be able to walk. Right. I said, you go right back to him and tell him your daughter said, no, thank you. <laughs> if you're not going to be able to walk you just you can't take that medication oh my goodness what's what is that so anyway I went home I, I ended up being with my mother I actually thought I was going to only be there about a month and I ended up being there with her for six years because it was a long process for the chemo and radiation and at first they said that she wasn't going to need it and then after they did the surgery they said no we just to be on the safe side we think she should do it and so I ended up staying there six years but you know the blessing of all of that is is that me being an independent artist and um, self-employed my own manager myself that allotted me the freedom to go home yeah. and just stop. I didn't have to get permission or worry about losing my job or, and uh, of course that was my mother. So I really wasn't, it really didn't matter to me what was going to happen because I was going to go home right. and take care of my mom and be with her. And so um, I'm just really grateful that after doing that, uh, and staying with her for six years that I was able to return back home uh, to my uh, home in Italy and pick up where I left off because, you know, uh, thank God I'm a great vocalist. <laughs> <laughs> Go on and pat yourself on the back now. <laughs> you know, sometimes you just have to do it. I, yes. I rarely pat myself on the back, but that's how I felt. <laughs> but yeah, uh, you know, thank God I'm a great vocalist. So I, I really uh, was really uh, fortunate uh, in that air aspect because I'm in high demand in Italy. So as it doesn't matter how long I leave from there, I have established roots uh, and relationships as well with promoters and uh club owners and they just love what I do. They love me. They love the response. Um, I always get a great turnout when I'm there. I, you know, and it's just, well, just a beautiful, beautiful thing. And so 
being able to help my mom was everything. And even though I lost my, my store, it's okay. But I, I got to experience having the store. You know, that was one of the things on my, now that was one of the things on my bucket list. It was <laughs> in my dream to have my own store when, you know, and I was actually able to experience having my own store and it did well. And I helped a lot of people as well through uh, natural soaps. Uh, I grew up using natural soaps all my life because I have really sensitive skin. I mean, I can't even use deodorant, you know, so um, I use a clear rock. It's like a salt rock that I use as deodorant because regular deodorant just makes my underarm pits like split open and pus and all kinds of Mm. stuff. So I'm just been a natural girl for a long time. And I, that's why I know that they it works, you know. So right. uh, I try to tell people now whether they believe it or not. Like I said, it's hard for people to believe that sometimes when you're just whatever you're, you know. And I understand that, too, because we're taught certain things. We grow up certain ways and sometimes it's hard to change. But um, all I know is I can share what I know. And hopefully the person will try it and hopefully they will get excellent results. Right. And then your dad, I think about you because most people in their lifetime, they may be a caregiver to one person. But Mm -hmm. for you, it was actually both of your parents that you had to be a caregiver for. So let's talk about your dad a little bit and... Um, what you had to go through with him, and then actually any advice that you can give to caregivers that's in that same situation. Okay. Yes. Well, um, let's go to 2014. Um, I went to Atlanta to visit my mom for vacation. And the very next day I received a phone call. My dad lived in Las Vegas. And I received a phone call from the hospital saying that I needed to come to Vegas and that they were not going to release him unless he was with a family member. And I was like, well, what is that about? I just talked to him yesterday. He told me he was fine. And so they were like, well, you just need to come here so we can talk to you and da 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 da. So I said, okay, well, give me a few days. And I packed my bags and I came to Las Vegas and I found out that my dad had um, dementia and Alzheimer's. And uh, literally overnight, I became his caregiver and his nurse and he was fine, but he just had dementia. I mean, and really that too, having a loved one or knowing someone that has dementia, (laughs) and Alzheimer's, you may not know that they have it because evidently he had had uh, dementia for quite some time, but he didn't know it. I didn't know it because you can still carry on a conversation (coughs) with the person. And if they're talking to you about something that they know, they can carry on that conversation like everything is fine and you just don't realize that they're sick. And then when I went and I thought back on it, 
I was like, wow, okay. He said five years ago, he said to me one time when we were talking on the phone, he's like, I'm going to B.B. King's doctor. (laughs) He said, and I'm telling him I want those memory pills. I didn't, it didn't dawn on me what he was talking about. And, um, but that's, was the beginning of it. I, I suppose, because he was like, cause I can't remember nothing. He says, but BB King takes these memory pills and I'm going to take those. I'm going to go to his doctor and get that. And so I came here. He didn't even know what was going on. And when he saw me, he was like, why are you here? I was like, well, because um, they're telling me that I need to stick around a little while and just hang out with you. And he's like, I'm fine. I don't need you here, baby girl. I was like, no, daddy, I'm going to have to stay. Then, um, they told me that he could not drive the car anymore. That was very difficult to tell him that he wouldn't be able to drive anymore. Mm -hmm. And, um, He wanted to, of course, he was upset about it. And so we're leaving the house, going to the store. And what I did with him is I still treated him as if he was okay. And I still treated him, even though I knew that he had Alzheimer's and dementia, I just, you know, loved on him and also in order to make him understand certain things, you know, sometimes you have to let people just do certain things to understand that they can't do it. So, because what happens with dementia is you can start out, you know how to back out of the garage, but if you get confused within that small amount of time, this is where the confusion will come in. And then you just don't know what you're doing and all hell breaks breaks loose. It's like, you know, this is where you just don't know what's going on. And so he wanted to drive the car to the store. And I said, no, you can't drive the car. And he says, I'm going to drive this car. It's my car. So I'm like, okay, dad, let's go. I'm going to let you drive, but let's go. So he's backing out. And I'm telling him, I said, turn to the left because you're going to hit the garage door. You're I've got this. I got this. I said, okay, you're getting ready to hit the garage door. So he tears up the garage door. (laughs) Mm. And I said, okay, now we're going to have to get the garage door fixed and then we can go to the store. So he didn't say anything. They fixed the garage door. And then I said, okay, are you ready to, let's go get, get the keys. Let's go. He's like, so he says to me, I think I'm going to let you drive. I said, okay, wonderful. And I never had any problems with him after that because I had to let him see that he could not do it. And another thing that I did that was so helpful to me in helping my dad through his Alzheimer's and dementia was I took a online course for Alzheimer's and dementia at the Alzheimer's uh, Association. And they have a course because there are certain things that you have to know how to handle the person. And, you know, uh, arriving and seeing my dad as his self and then 
within four months, five months, putting a diaper on him. Mm-hmm. He had dwindled to a vegetable. That and me having to bathe him and help him to the restroom and uh, all of those things. And I remember him telling me, um, he said, you know, baby girl, it's a bad, it's a hard thing when you are losing your mind and you can't do anything about it. And, but he said to me, he said, but I will never forget who you are. Mm. And that just really touched my heart. And, um, uh, we, it was the best thing for me, and I say that only because I did not grow up with my father. And I knew him, and my mom took me to his concerts and all that stuff, and I spent time with him um, when he was on vacation. But I didn't really spend a lot of time with him throughout my life. But those five months was a gift because we were able to learn about each other and really know each other. And uh, I learned a lot about him. He learned a lot about me. And uh, he was really grateful that I was able to take care of him. And there again, me being in the position of being an independent artist, I was able to walk away from my work and come and take care of my father. And I was able to see him through to his last breath. And he had a great life. And he said the same thing. He told me, you know, I I lived a great life. I did everything I wanted to do. And he was a musician all his life. And, uh, and he looked at me and he said, oh, my God, you're just like me. I'm like, ah, uh, duh. <laughs> I've only been trying to tell you about this 20 years, Dad, that I'm a vocalist. <laughs> what a beautiful gift you gave him. Yeah. What a beautiful gift. Like, I, I, I hope that you've taken a little time to kind of celebrate that and to realize what a beautiful gift you gave him. Because it's an incredibly hard road to be a caregiver, to make your world center around somebody else with compassion to try and help somebody manage and heal and take care of them in that way. And I want you to Thank know you. that it's acknowledged. It takes a lot of strength, a lot of compassion, a lot of empathy. Yes. It's really, uh, and even with that, that was a learning experience as well, because when someone has dementia in the beginning, you don't realize that they have it, or you yourself may be in denial too, you know, that they actually have dementia. And and what dementia is, is that the brain shrinks down to the size of a prune. Mm. So the time that it takes for the brain to shrink to that size is the years that they have to be with you. And um, when I learned all the stuff about dementia and how to react and how not to get upset because they become confused. And uh, I didn't sleep for a long, many, many weeks on end because you have to really be attentive because anything can happen within a few seconds, just like having a child. And 
one time he went into the bathroom and I thought he was fine. And then I realized that, you know, maybe 45 minutes had gone by and he was still in the restroom. And so I went and I said, Daddy, are you all right? And he told me he could not remember how to open the door. Oh, wow. Mm. So even things like that, because he was fine when he went in to the bathroom, but when he got ready to come out, he became confused. And I didn't know I was sitting in there, you know, and I didn't know, but I realized I'm like, oh my goodness, he's been in there for quite some time. Mm. And so that's how you, you know, you have to stay attentive. And uh, he fell a couple of times. I had to call the fire department because he was a small man, but, you know, dead weight is very, very hard. It took five people to pick him up off the floor. And um, so the fire department, they came several times to help me. And I tell you, thank God for them. And um, they were good to look at, too. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> like <a> Boom. <laughs> that was something I was not expecting, people. Okay, okay, okay. I was not prepared for what I saw. Oh my goodness! My door. It was like a commercial. It was eight men coming through the door, and they're all buffed and <laughs> music in the background, slow motion. Music in the background. <laughs> I was stuck in my tracksuit. I'm like the eye candy. The eye candy. I'm like, oh my goodness. You speaking of the eye candy. Eye. Speaking of you the eye candy. The fire department. Oh my goodness. Eye Hab- candy. I, look, Habaka. Speaking of the eye candy, we are twinning right now on the eyewear. <laughs> I wonder how we're twi- how we're twinning. Would you like to tell everyone? Well, we're twinning on the eyewear because this is actually my eyewear line, Habaka KFJ, and my eyewear is handmade in Italy and has my name in it, and it's, it says hand created, handmade in Italy, and um, I just you know I'm a cat. <laughs> And I'm a cat, and even in Cremona, Italy, they call me the Panther of Cremona. And uh, because, well, they actually compare me to an incredible vocalist there, Italian vocalist named Mina, and she came from Cremona, and they called her the Tiger of Cremona. So they compared me to Miss Mina, which is an honor for me. And they called me the, they coined me as the Panther of Cremona. Now, Cremona, Italy, is in North Italy. And it's the small little town of violins. So that's where all the violin shops are and the school for making violins is and the Strata Vadis is. (laughs) And it's just wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. But anyway, this eye candy is actually my own eyewear line, which I don't, I really don't talk about it much. I guess there again, that part of being shy, introvert, uh, people do have my eyewear because maybe they found it on my website, but. And I, I saw yours and I wanted it. 
<laughs> exactly. You saw mine and you wanted it and you got it. Girl. I sure did. And, and they look fabulous on you. Actually, Thank I you. saw her photograph uh promoting lovesick, and I was like, oh, those are some nice glasses she has on. <laughs> And then you realize, right? <laughs> and she I got didn't them realize me. that they were mine. And when I <laughs> zoomed in, I was like, I thought it's my glasses. But I was like, wow, those look great on her. And I told her, I said, you look fabulous. Thank you. Thank you. So look, we're going to wrap up. Um, how can people contact you? They can contact me through, I am on Instagram at the real Habaka Music. And um, so if you see Habaka music, do not go to that page because that page has been hacked. Okay. okay. <laughs> and so they hacked all my pages uh, last summer. I'm starting over. So it's the real Habaka music. H-A-B-A-K-A music. And I also have a, a little health page as well on Instagram. Uh, and it's called at the real honey be vibrant. Because I call all of my um, my lovers of music who love Habaka music, they are all my honeybees. Yeah. So <laughs> I love, I love that. it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. My honeybee. I love that. So I like much. that. I like that. And you know, before we go, Habaka, can you give us a positive message for our um, audience, our viewers, and people that are watching in English and in Italian. Uh, yes, I think I can do that. We have to reach our Italian audience, so you we know. have to reach our Italian audience. <laughs> and I also, I just wanted to say as well, you can also reach me at my website, of course, at www.habakakfj.com, okay. um, and you'll find everything about me right there. Um, so, also, I would just say to everyone, you know. Uh, don't give up. Don't give up no matter what is going on, no matter what it looks like, because things can change. Sometimes it seems like it changed overnight, even though you may know it didn't change overnight. I was very ill. I just, I got sick with a virus about a year and a half ago, and I have been vi fighting that virus with my chest up until right now, this very moment, and I am finally back to normal. I'm able to breathe because having uh, caught pneumonia, I also developed a small case of asthma from the trauma, and, uh, and I got very sick with this asthma where it seemed like it just tripled and I could not breathe whatsoever. And so I started drinking my teas and researching on uh, teas for your lungs. Uh, hyssop, I'm going to tell you that little tip, H-Y-S-S-O-P, hyssop tea is great for anyone with lung issues and asthma and inflammation, those sort of things. And it works because I'm here today to let you know I'm breathing. Okay. I'm not on, I haven't used my inhalers for over two months now. Okay. So I just want to say to everyone, don't give up. You're here for a reason. And um, you just, 
you never know how you can help someone else in your testimony. So I would say also in Italian, non mai dimenticare de essere presente. Non mai dimenticare di faro, fare tutto tu sogni. So I said, don't ever forget your dream as well. Don't ever forget your dream. And we never know the small thing that we might think is silly will be that very thing that will save someone. So don't okay. be afraid to open your mouth. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm talking to myself. I'm talking to the choir. <laughs> <laughs> don't be afraid to open your mouth. Non faccio paura di aprire la bocca. Dirlo tutte le cose. Tu devi dirlo alla gente per aiutarlo. And loro strada di essere and with that i love you guys thank you so much thank for inviting you. me to love sick i love that name <laughs> she love loves sick. the name too <laughs> i, I told her you thought of it <laughs> yes i love that name and yeah. as i always say it's honeylicious <laughs> <laughs> well thank you Habaka. we thank so you. much we enjoyed your show and um we enjoyed your, your journey, your testimony, and we sure that everyone else will do the same. Thank you, Habaka. Thank you. Thank you.